Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Stream of Thought. This is episode number 16, and today, Victor and I uh, talk a little bit. Well, first of all, we save you guys, like, 12 minutes of absolute, utter bullshit. <laughs> because we just couldn't figure out what to talk about. There's so, just nothing. If you guys so have stupid. any interest in figuring out how we ended up getting to the topic that we ended up getting to, we included that at the very end for your entertainment. But we do start off talking about... Uh, stories from Victor's high school experience. It has to do with a fence collapsing. And yeah, it's a real solid story. Victor li- lifting up a fence to rescue a damsel yeah. in distress. Kind of like in Sandlot when Benny lifts up the fence for Hercules the dog. Um, so yeah, so listen to that. We transition into Rix's experience at seminary. Which involve a lot of indiscretions, yeah, let's say. It's not, It's it was a party. Not exactly what you would think from the outside looking in, but I was there firsthand a couple times visiting, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, and then we talk a little bit about, what were you saying, like love, relationships, um, Relationships, people, capitalism uh, versus capitalism. love, man. What's the real currency? What is the real currency? And we also kind of go back and forth talking about uh, donations and being a good Samaritan and a humanitarian and being guilt-tripped into donating into things that you can't see where your money's going versus, you know, buying a meal for someone and spending quality time with them. Um, Some real solid stuff. Real solid stuff. So, episode number 16 of Stream of Thought. We hope you enjoy. So, I'm thinking right now we're trying real fucking hard to do this podcast. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm just shooting the shit. I'm just I, I like... Don't, I don't know wherever it's I'm going. I'm not, but. like... I, it's funny because, like, I actually don't have anything that... that uh, is bothering me right now, so I'm just kind of like, eh, what out, what out there can we talk about? Whereas, like, usually it's like something happened to me, or I experienced something, or whatever, where like it just really upset me. It probably wouldn't normally upset the normal person. Yeah. Um. But let's shake it up. Tell me. Uh. <laughs> let's let's do some remix. Yeah. Remix. <laughs> 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 Deuces wild. Deuces wild. Um, no, let's do some high school college stories. High school. Do you want to go first stories. or should I go first? Go first, man. No, get, get the ball rolling. Get the ball rolling. Oh, I thought you would go first. I don't really have too many. Oh, good oh, 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 high oh. school stories. I got an awesome high school story. Okay, so um, this would have been May twenty. Uh, 20- Two, I guess this was before double digits, so 2000. Uh, the aughts. Two, 2004. The 2000 aughts. Aughts? What's aughts? Like zeros. Aughts. Whatever. Zero, 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 one, zero, two. Um, so May 2004. This is actually a day before my birthday. This is like May 14th. This is, the, this is May 14th. You're about to turn how old? I'm about to turn 17. Um, so Such a horrible person back in that day. Actually, I, f- I feel I like this that out. Re- I should have left that detail. Recounting. I should have left that detail out and said it till the end. So maybe we'll mix it up. We'll remix, edit. <laughs> we're, not, um, we're not fucking editing. So we have, we're keeping that first. Part. I remember, like, I have my mom's van. I go to, I think it was Kristen Corbett. I want to say is what her name was. She was like a year older than us, maybe. Name sounds familiar. And she lived in Glendale Heights. We we're going to a party. I was with like it was myself. 
uh, like Jimmy Bellinger, Nicole Miller, Randy Vogue. Uh, oh, what's her name? I, and there's like one, two. So myself, Jimmy, Nicole, Randy, maybe like Mitch Dorn. I don't know. It's like a random ass crew of like seven people. I just remember like every seat in my mom's van was filled. Yeah. So there's seven of us. And it was like with like Cooper wasn't there. Danny wasn't there. You weren't there. Jeff wasn't there. Like we hung out with Nicole. It was just like this. Sometimes there's like this just random group of people somehow. And we go to this girl's house and I really didn't drink at all until, uh, near the end of senior year of high school. Yeah. Same like here. I did it like sometimes near the end, but it wasn't like a regular thing ever for me. So I drove and we go to this house and the basement is maybe, it's not a huge basement. It is maybe, like, it's probably, like, the size of this office, like, from this wall to, the, like, imagine this wall right here isn't here, mm-hmm. and it goes through to you where your, uh, where your mom goes on her, it's on her computer and stuff. Yeah. So it's maybe, like, I don't know, 20, 30, 30 feet by, like, 15 feet or something like that, now that I think about it. Okay. What's that? What are you thinking? What the fuck does that look like? <laughs> so you're being very specific in yeah. regards to the dimensions okay. of this room. This must be important. Um, you know me. I'm, like, super detail-oriented. So you that's are. the size of the room. It's not very big. And you then, and my mom. I don't, uh, I'm just going to interrupt you for yeah. a second and say there are certain people where once you start telling a story, they get so into it that they have to give you all the back backstory details <laughs> and make sure that everything is filled in so that the scene is painted perfectly. You know exactly what color... <sighs> The the, t- oh. the windows are tinted. Prior, as, you, as okay. you drop your mic, uh, one thing I left out. Not I intentionally left it out oh. to try and be a better storyteller in the eyes of other people. But really, I'm just not doing myself any. Don't bore me. That's that's so all I. We ask. did go to. It's not we did go to Wendy's. We did go to Wendy's prior to this party. Party party because because they. So we stopped at Wendy's and then we went to this party. Um, <laughs> that was a minor irrelevant detail. <laughs> okay. So just don't bore me. Okay, we're at this party. And we're in this basement. And I remember, like, there's, like, 60 people. There's, like, way too many people for the size of this basement. Okay, so lots of people crammed into a small space. If a fire marshal showed up, he would not be happy, you know? Um, And I remember seeing, I think his name was Brian Mackey. And he was, like, a freshman, I think, when we were juniors. And I remember, like, his his head and hands were just, like, on the table. He was just, like, passed out on this table or, like, on the counter or something. And it wasn't even that late. It was probably, like, 930. Yeah. And anyway, we're at this party, and then these people show up who I don't think very, I think very few people recognize them, which means they're from another school. You know what I'm saying? So these people from another school show up who are friends with mutual friends from people from Glenbar West or whatever. And a little bit later, someone someone um, says like cops, like the cops. So the cops are there. So someone yells like cops, and so you have like 60 people trying to run out the back door of this basement oh of single door yeah you know of this basement and i'm one of the first few pe- first few people to get out of here yeah and um there's a fence that's probably about eight feet high it's a wooden fence it's one of those wooden fences where it's got in the back if i'm in the backyard and i'm facing the fence to climb the fence i am able to step on the back um braces of this fence. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I hop the fence, climb over, 
jump down. I run about halfway across the backyard of the neighbor before I just stop and turn around. And I turn around and I see like some other people have climbed over. And then there's like five or six people on the fence. And it's like, it's wavering oh just a little bit. Oh my God. Because there's all these people yeah, trying to yeah, hop on the fence. And there's people, you know what I'm saying? And, it, and I look and it wave, it's wavering and it just falls over. Oh my God. And this flood of teenagers starts running across <laughs> it. So I'm like, shit, I got to hop over this other fence. So I, <laughs> same fence, like eight foot fence, hop that fence and uh, run like 10 or 15 feet, stop turn around and again the same thing i see you're kidding teenagers me. on fences? it i see teenagers on it no and it's like starts to waver again are you kidding and me? it falls over and so i just turn around and i run oh and i hear my God. i hear victor victor and i stop and i turn around victor victor it's nicole she was on she was had straddled the fence when it fell over yeah so like she fell with the fence and so, like, her leg is underneath the fence, and her other leg is on top of it, because she was, oh, she was yeah. straddling the fence when yeah. it fell over. I go back, straight up, like, sandlot this fence, lift up the fence from underneath her, like, what Benny does for the for the, for the Hercules. Did everyone else, I mean, were there other people on the fence, or was it just Oh, you? by this time, everyone had, like, ran past it. Oh, okay. So I was able to lift it up. Okay. Um, so was it, like, a dozen people, like, trying to get through that way? No, it was like 60 people. That Trying all, to get over the fence. So 60 had already, people had passed. This happened in a matter of like a minute or two. The two Between the time that we ran, I ran out the back door and the fence fell and I had to go back to Nicole. This is 90 seconds yeah. to two minutes. Yeah. It happened real fast. That's... And uh, I go back and I lift it up and I get her out and get her out and we like hide in a bush. Um and this sucks. It's like, fuck, like, I'm the driver. Like, everyone, I guess, met back in my car. Because this is in a time where not everyone has cell phones. Yeah. You know? This was pre-universal yeah. cell phone use. And um, and even if you did have a cell phone, it was unlikely that you just had text messages that you could text all the time. Yep. And if you did... Yeah, text got, messages really weren't a if thing. If you did, you probably got bitched at by your parents for racking Data. up a texting, oh my texting bill. Yeah, the texting bill. Ten cents per yeah. text or something right. like that. Um, and I remember somehow we got back all <laughs> to my car and we started driving home and, uh, somehow it got mentioned that it was my birthday and Randy's like, what is your birthday? I'm like, yeah. Like, Congratulations, man. Here, have a beer. And so he handed me like a can of like MGD. Mm. I was like, oh, thanks dude. Mm. And I can't remember Tasty. if I opened it or not. Yeah. Um... I know when I was 17, I still thought beer was gross. Yeah. And, it took a while um, to get over that. I just remember driving home, like, man, that was a pretty kick-ass yeah. night. That was really cool. Remember when Smirnoff Ice was the poison of choice for oh around our age? Well, we, you mean Cooper, was it Jack? Jack Daniels was one of those? That we Cooper, drink? you guys were always drinking something. Uh, I do not recall. I don't know, Jack and Coke or something. Probably. Uh, we were always, like, mixing drinks up. Yeah, you guys were. All right, your turn. Cool story, brah. I've got another story. Actually, this story features Cooper and Rick's. 
I'll let you tell this. Oh, you don't remember, probably. <laughs> you uh, don't remember, probably. No, you go ahead. You start. You 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 do a story, and I'll come back to this one or a different oh, one. Will you? Yeah. I don't really have too many cool high school stories. Uh, uh, I or a college story. I could tell the <laughs> I could tell the story about when I learned I was white. Does it involve alcohol or drugs? No. All right, skip that for now. Uh, tell a story about <laughs> about alcohol se- and about, drugs. About seminary. Oh, about seminary. Yeah. Damn, dude, there's so many good stories. I'm trying to think some of the good ones, dude. People don't understand that seminary. You had a chance to visit, so you got a chance to see what yeah. real real seminary looks like for yeah. a lot of people. And it is. Well, what what was your picture of what seminary was? Uh, so I visited going you twice. It? Yeah. And I think I was there for your first and second year. No, your second no, and third second year, two thousand twelve and two thousand. Again, it's like same time, two thousand thirteen. Yeah. Um, I remember one of my memories is I was mem- I remember hanging out with you and like uh, Kellyanne and Nate and Penny and I don't know if I'm mixing up Penny with this other girl or oh Eve Eve yes yes yes, yes. because I thought to myself no this other girl didn't have a British accent no. Um, and Eric, probably. I, I don't, don't remember. I don't know if you I, met Eric. Actually. I don't know. But I remember we're like sitting in someone's room, like drinking, and I think they prepared like a meal or as much of a meal as you can prepare in like a tiny kitchenette of a yeah. um, room. Or I remember, I think there was it was pretty kid, tiny. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, but it was, it was fun. A dorm room. It was appreciated too. So not to say like I'm talking down on like this meal. No, or, yeah, yeah. But um, just to set, no, it was to cool. set the scene. Yeah, to set the scene. And the, uh, total college because some people were sitting on. Like chairs and sofas, and I think Eve or a couple other people were like sitting on the floor because there weren't enough seats or something mm-hmm. ridiculous like that. Um, but I remember she was just like we, of course, all of you went to school there except for me, and religion just naturally got brought up in subject, and I'm just kind of observing what's happening. And Eve, I think, was like, um, what did she say? She said something like, "I, I believe in the." I believe in the resurrection of Christ. I just don't believe that in that he's coming back or something like he's coming back or like something real weird and super East coast and super nitpicky about something Very that specific, you about, yeah. about something that you either kind of have to believe it or you don't like type of thing. Um, that's what you think. And no. And that's what I learned when I'm sitting there. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought this was like a take it or leave it type thing, type thing to a certain degree, mm-hmm. and I and I hear people talking about getting shit faced and weed and fucking, and I'm like, what is going on right now? What? Where am I? What? Where am I? What is this? It's so interesting because when I mention that there's alcohol, sex, and drugs in seminary. The look that I get from people who don't have any idea about what seminary is mm-hmm. is just one of total shock. It, yeah. You see this this look of abject horror on their face yeah. as to, oh, these are our ministers? Like, these yeah. are where our ministers come from? Kind of thing. But it's interesting because most of my friends are from the religious field. So most of them have gone to seminary in mm-hmm. one form or another. So for them, talking about this sort of casual stuff of... That we live sometimes devious yeah. lives in seminary is just one of those natural things. But 
I, I like to think of it as you have a bunch of really well-intentioned people, people with, with good hearts who want to do good in the world, who feel called to serve, but are preparing to enter sometimes pretty strict religious communities in some instances and in other instances. Regardless, you're going to be a role model for the community. So we're like getting all of our bad behavior out. Everyone's while we're in also school. in their early twenties, early twenties and just filled with hormones. The, the social crowd. Yeah. The, the social crowd that would go out. We had a crew of us of maybe, maybe two, two dozen of oh, us. No who, way. That's who, a giant squad. That's who nice. Were, who were the athletic young, mm-hmm. Dare I say charismatic, as charismatic as you can get for seminary nerds. Really. Okay. But the coolest part... I was about too, to say, were you an outlier in this group? Dude, man. <laughs> I, as weird as it sounds, I was one of the most more socially okay. able, able people. So, socially, for, for what is... For what what is more socially able, able people? people. Okay. And if that gives you any indication as to how socially able I yeah. am. Okay. As it is. But... I feel like, too, New York was your scene. That was your, like... I feel like the the Ricks that was in New York City was a very different Ricks from Glen Ellen, Glen Bar West High School, or maybe even Drake Ricks. Way different than, like, that was your, like, place to just do you. Well, it was, it was one of those things of overcoming probably one of my biggest fears, which was moving far away from home mm-hmm. and living in a city, mm-hmm. neither of which I ever wanted to do. Yeah. And so for me, it was it was pushing outside the boundaries. But going to seminary, I had thought, I literally had thought that we would be studying our books by candlelight and going to bed <laughs> at 8.30 at night, rising with the sun, yeah. doing morning worship calls, that sort of thing. And there, there's a there's a crowd for that, you know. There's the monastic, <laughs> there's the monastic candle crowd. There's a crowd for that for sure, because there are some people who have just different perspectives of religion. We had right. Wiccans go to, we had atheists, Wiccans, yeah, we had Jews, we had we had the full spectrum. So it, it was a great diversity, and just to be able to see, there was a lot of mixing Buddhism and Christianity and the fusion of those religions. But I I did not anticipate seminary to be what it ended up being. And the first night that I was there on my, my own, my dad helped me move in. And so we spent the first night there together. And then the second night, it was kind of an orientation movie night and then do whatever. And moved in, watched this watched this weird movie about the grid system of New York and how the grid system of New York hurt this. How New York City figured it out and no, the rest of the world No, 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 no. That's not the type of seminary movie okay. that we'd watch. It, it was how the grid system changed New York, but... But the story focused on this one uh, tour bus driver who gave tours and how his life had totally changed when the grid system moved or something like that. I, I don't know. It was it was this weird indie movie about okay. the the plight of one one struggling bus driver <laughs> okay. uh, and his his journey into the grid system of the streets because all the streets are right. parallel, so it made it super easy to navigate. But then after that, we ended up. There was a couple of second and third years that said that asked some of those first years, "Do you want to go out? We're going to go out and explore the city." Went to the bar called Ding Dongs, love it. Shot in a beer for six dollars, <laughs> and dude, the amount of the amount of cursing and stuff, and and just talk about sex and talk talk about just really non PC conversations was really jarring because I had thought all this stuff we just. We'd sort of ease into or something like that, but people wore their opinions on their sleeve. And yeah. I think that that was part of the seminaries, that people just, they were who they were. Take take them or leave them. 
And that was great in a sense because you got to see you got to see lifestyles that you would never see in a place like Glen Ellen, where if we were to be our our the the most authentic versions of ourselves, we'd be shunned from the community. Oh yeah, you know social norms and all that weird weird conversation topics and all that. But yeah, that that that's was that's a funny. that's a that's a general sense of seminary. I would say. It is an experience unlike ever, it, and unlike any other. It, it was life-transforming. Okay. I can't even get the words out. That's how exciting it is. So like when you went there, now. like, was there at any moment where you, once you kind of were, were introduced to this culture, were you, did you ever think to yourself, like, oh, what did I just get myself into? Or were you kind of taken, taken by surprise, like, oh, this is pretty cool. Didn't expect this, but I'm pretty. I'm down with this. I'm okay with this. Yeah, just trying to remember. What was the transition like in terms of culture and what you were anticipating and what actually happened? It was shocking because, just as an anecdotal example, at the at Ding Dongs, we we were having a conversation. I had in college, I had studied Black Liberation theology, and so that was my main focus. The reason I had gone to Union was because of a professor named James Cohn who was the founder of American Black Liberation Theology. So I was very excited about this topic, but I'm a white kid from the suburbs mm-hmm. of Chicago. Middle-class family. Ha- haven't really dealt with race issues. I mean, friends with Neil, but that's the extent of my racial engagement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was told, not told, but I learned more or less, the my attitude to approaching conversations on race was that as a white person, I need to shut up and listen better. And that was sort of the attitude that I was taking. And so I came to seminary thinking as a white, middle-class, straight male from the suburbs of Chicago that my attitude should be to shut up and listen. Mm-hmm. And when someone – when another white kid, his name was George, I don't know if you you met him at some point, really goofy out there kind of guy. But he asked me what my thoughts were on black theology and how it's working in mainstream culture. And I said, well, I don't – I can't really ju- give you a judgment. I mean I'm a, I'm a white male. You know, what What do I have to say about this? It says, you're you. You have your own opinions that are still valuable. And he said it He said it in a different terminology. I remember that, you – this sounds was, familiar a little bit. Because I wrote about it in, in my book. That it was, okay. a, it was a huge – it was a huge shift in just trying, trying to – trying to fit in, right? Mm-hmm. I, so I – whether it was high school or college, everything that I did, joining a fraternity, it was all about just trying to fit in, you know, be one of the crowd, um, do do what I had to do to to blend in because I find my I, I picture myself as a relatively atypical type of individual who doesn't really fit in with a lot of crowds. But I learned what a community was like, right, and, mm-hmm. and the social norms to fit in, and this was the first time where basically I was told there are no social norms. You are who you are. We're all different. We're all going to have our own opinions and stuff like that, but we're all living under the same house together. And that's the beauty of what what union was for me was that I could be myself for the first time. I was valued as an individual rather than as a part of the community, mm-hmm. which I think both are important. But it was it was the first time in my life that I was ever sort of given that respect of even with my limited experiences, because I approach others as equally human with equally authentic and valid experiences, that I can share mine, and that's okay. You know, 
it it doesn't matter if I'm not if I don't experience other people's stuff, right? Um, whereas does that does any of that yeah, make no, sense? No, 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 no. Because I feel like no, I'm sort no, of no. drifting makes, right now. This makes complete sense. I'm grinning and had a brief sigh because my experience was almost the almost the exact opposite. Where people that I met when I went to school at Purdue, most of the, I mean, it's a a bunch of people from all over the world go to school there. Yeah. But most of it is just people from Indiana. Um, and so when you talk to people, someone coming from the Chicagoland area, uh, coming to Indiana, and whether it's, you know, from middle of nowhere, Indiana or Indianapolis, most people, from my experience, have the same mindset. And there really isn't a whole lot of... Um, difference in opinion between people mm. it's all like all a predominantly white conservative views um anybody that has i don't it, it wasn't like an aggressive way where it's like anyone who has the opposite opinion or a different opinion is wrong it wasn't like so it wasn't so brash mm. but Imagine being in a place where a majority of the people are from one part of the country. Pretty much sum it up. Yeah. You know, I mean, there are a bunch of people from all over the world, but most of the people that went to that school were from somewhere in Indiana. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know what the exact percentage is. You know what I'm saying? Um, But it was like, hmm, okay. Uh, That was an interesting choice of vocabulary. Uh this is the 21st century, then again, this is Rural West Lafayette, Indiana. Indiana. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's just weird stuff. Yeah. And I will say, I do want to clarify one thing, and that is seminary, in regards to what seminary did for me, it redefined, in my eyes, what a good person was. Okay. To me, a good person was somebody who didn't drink, who didn't smoke, who didn't curse, who didn't have sex. Or, like, you know, responsible side of life. Like, a good person was somebody who, like, lived a healthy lifestyle in that sense. Who was, who, the best kind of person was somebody who lived a near-perfect lifestyle in that sense. And what I learned in seminary was that that's secondary to how you treat other people. Okay. Your, your, your compassion for other people is what truly defines you as a good person. Yeah. It's not, it's not the things that people will judge you for. You know, if you're gay, for example, people will, will judge your lifestyle choices and say that you're less of a good person because you're gay. There are individuals who will say that. Whereas in the community that I was, it didn't matter if you were gay, if you were trans, if you were atheist. What mattered was did you love your neighbor? Mm-hmm. You know? And that was, for me, That's that changed my perception of how God works in the world is like God is relational. And so the love that we show our neighbors is the embodiment of God in this world. Yeah. And it's like, wow, you know, I get to see that for the first time because you get, when, when you set us, it's hard to set aside all those stigmas, right? If you smoke cigarettes, people have a certain perspective of you. If you drink booze a lot, people have, you know, are you an alcoholic kind Mm -hmm. of thing? Um, if you smoke pot, oh, Oh, you know, uh, it's going to get you addicted to cocaine at some point in time. There's always these stereotypes that are attached to certain character traits or certain personality behaviors. And you can, you can condition yourself to be like, that doesn't matter what matters. And that's what I, I learned with working with Ray. It's like, how do you treat your neighbor? How, how do you view them? Do you love them? 
And that's the hard part. Like, the easy part is making your life operate in a man convenient to it, you. In a, in a healthy way, right? You can yeah. stop drinking, you can stop smoking, you can exercise a lot, you can eat right, you can practice abstinence. Like, you can make yourself healthy. That's easy. What's hard is having that love for your neighbor all the time. At yeah. least in my opinion. Especially when they're assholes. Exactly. Especially <laughs> when they're assholes. Like, particularly when they're assholes. You gotta you gotta show love to the the worst the worst person in your mind. I was um, I was watching this movie today. The movie I was watching today was uh, <coughs> uh, called uh, Gosford Park, mm. and it's about it's like a mystery, and these people go. It's in somewhere in England. I don't know. And these people go to this like giant mansion. It's like a hunting party for the weekend, and. Uh, it was so crazy because I it was like, man, there are actually people this takes place in the thirties. It's like there are actually people around who have so much money that their wealth pays the salary of tens, if not maybe like a hundred people or so, to just operate that house in terms of like the landscaping, the butlers, valet, the the team of people yeah. in the kitchen, the team of people that do Laundry, the team of people that do house cleaning, you know, just like these different organ, these different groups of people that have their own little spe- specified job to maintain order in the home. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's the wealthy, pretentious people, and not that all wealthy people are pretentious, but this is this was the 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 uh, characteristics given to these characters. All all the wealthy people were like pretentious and la di da, and they had. Um, their servers who when they come into the home the servers you know are all addressed as the same name as their person they're serving to so that there's not like confusion so like if i'm sir marquez or lord lordship marquez my my butler whoever would be would be addressed as mr marquez because mm-hmm. he is an associate of mine and his separate name there'd be twice as many names and just be too much to deal with so they're all addressed as the name of whoever it is that they're serving just with like addresses mister yeah. or miss rather yeah. than that rather than their title that they have that the person they're serving has um anyway and i'm like man what do these people do to just have so much money and what is it that this, these other people do where they have to be the servers and then i got to think and I'm, I'm bringing it around full circle here and in the story um the guy who's super wealthy gave up Clive Owen's character as like adopt to adopt him because he just like slept with his around with people and just gave him away for adoption because he wanted anything to do with them. And Helen Mirren plays like the mom or something. Anyway, I'm getting way too into it. But anyway, what I'm getting at is like, whoa, what if instead of what what if the world currency instead of being money was just like love? <laughs> you can't quantify love. No, man. you can't though. But if you, if everyone's just always in a state of giving, you know how much crazy shit people could experience if there was this ever this perpetual state of giving, rather than like, oh, in order to have this or experience this, like you need to fork over this much money. And part of what the part of why are you smiling? What's Nothing, that no, dumbass grin that you got on your face? Continue. I want to hear. Um, I want to hear the full circle. Uh, and and what the whole referring to servants as he versus Lord has to do with the story? 
Oh, that's just, those are just details. It has nothing to do with the story. <laughs> you spent like five minutes on that. I, I expected that to play. But in what, this is what happened was okay. I imagined um, uh, what to okay to sum it all up without all the bullshit. Without all the bullshit, all the bullshit in between is how much would it suck for somebody to have? And this is like. You don't even need the movie for this. I could have just skipped over the movie. But um, it got me thinking about this. Uh, how much would it suck to, like, have a baby and then, like, you have to just work all the time? So you have to, like, be at daycare or, like, you can't spend time with, like, your baby because you're too worried about money. Whereas, like, if you could just be a good parent and you give and other people give to you and you give back to the world and that way, like, it's just more of a... Uh, symbiotic is that right symbiotic uh, relationship with your fellow human beings in the world yeah that's what churches try to do man that's what that's why when someone's sick or there's a new baby or something like that a lot of churches will have sort of volunteer charts or whatever for people to bring meals to people's homes if somebody has a relative who passes away or something like mm-hmm. that there's that's an avenue for to try and encourage people to give to strangers really when you you give of yourself you give your time the most precious precious commodity there is that is something that changes you and transforms you what where's the i've been in some churches where i walk in and i'm like okay this here is 100% unnecessary and they spent thousands of dollars on this yeah. and it could have gone elsewhere what is the purpose of this oh to make it look cool what are you like tell me who decides where the money gets spent and how it's allocated and where is, is the fine line between something that is needed and something that is just completely not needed it depends on the denomination and how the church's governing structure is set up so all churches have different ways that they organize themselves. Some churches, the pastor has more power and basically a lot of business decisions the pastor will make, they'll be basically the executive, the CEO of the church. Then you'll have churches where it's the kind, there's a, the board, the, a board of trustees or a, 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 a chairperson of the church board that makes, that is primarily responsible for the mm-hmm. decision. So it's, it's, Sometimes it's put in the hands of the pastor. Sometimes it's put in the hands of the congregation. And sometimes it's put in the hands of the denomination. So if a church wants to expand or get a new pastor or something like that, they have to ask for money from the higher-ups. And that's where most of their finances go and they'll make decisions if they want to do an addition or something. The denomination will have to okay it. So there's three different people in depending on the type of church. I remember one time when I was at church with Jeff um, – there was, I think, after the service, there was like pizza for people, or it was maybe. Uh, oh yeah, they, they, or they maybe there was sometimes. like some random like weeknight or something. A youth-oriented event, and yeah. uh, they're like, "Hey, we're asking for, uh, <laughs> you know, it was one of these. The pizza's free, but it'd be really nice to get a donation." And Jeff was like, "What the hell, like?" We come here every week and give them money during whenever the, during the tithe, and like you want us to pay more money for the pizza. It's like why can't you just b- 
buy it. This church has a huge number of people. Yeah. They, I don't know how much money they bring in every weekend, but there's, I think there was like three or four services on Sunday and there are several hundred people at each service. I, I think that that's a bad habit that some churches have is that every event you have to ask for a donation. Yes. It's like, it doesn't matter if it's, if it's a community meal or if it's a youth group or something like that, it it feels like churches instinctively have to ask for donations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that that's. That's that's a bad habit that that should be broken because the, it it is I think it's refreshing to have certain church events where you it's it's not about donating money it's literally about the congregation right yes it's about you don't need to focus on giving away anything of yourself this is we are giving to you kind of thing are there but and a your, lot of people also like the mutuality of I can give to you you can give to me kind of thing are, in your experience are there events where church should be like hey this is an event going on we are not accepting donations even if you want to donate because the sole purpose of this is just to focus on the people. So even if you want to donate or write a check, we're not accepting that. Or will they typically always be like, all right, uh, now what am I talking about? They'll always take a check for sure. Yeah, there's always, because if you don't donate to whatever the event is, you can always donate it to something else with the the intention in your heart of this was meant, you know, for that. But normally, normally, it depends. Some Some pastors are pretty big shysters when it comes to yeah. their rules in regards to uh, exclusionary. You have to be a member of our community in order to have certain privileges or do certain things. and It's frustrating. I feel weird sometimes um, about donating money because in certain areas because sometimes I feel like I'm being cornered to donate money so that when I in the overall for example, like with, okay, how do I say this? Um, I don't like donating money to things where I don't know where that money is going to or how it's going to be spent. Okay. Does that make any sense? Yeah. I'd rather do my donations on a personal level. Like I'll buy people usually, I remember there's a dude, Alonzo, I've seen a few times in Chicago and I'll, I'll buy him like a sandwich and I'll converse with him for some time. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'd rather have, like, a personal interaction with somebody Most and, would, yeah. and eat a meal with them rather than, you know, would you like to, you know, donate a dollar to whatever? It's like, oh, damn it, now you're – I just feel cornered sometimes. Yeah. It's – I mean – Not to mention real quick before you say what no, you have no. to say, uh, I don't know exactly – I'm also, again, going back to saying where I don't like – I don't, like, know where it's going or how it's spent – and you said shysters in church. Yeah, and there's for sure shysters in nonprofit organizations, for sure. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it just I know they're not they're not all rackets, but I would rather not have anything to do with a um <coughs> I don't I don't want anything to do with transactions. I'd rather be with somebody and spend time with them and buy them a meal. Well I think that there's or a gift card then Here's five dollars. Thank you. In exchange, I'm supposed to feel good about myself for the day. And see, I, I think that there is an element of that's a human behavior, right? We feel more comfortable when we know that the the closer we are to seeing the impact that we have on a situation. So the closest impact that we can have is literally being at a at a homeless shelter and helping the people there you can you can see the people you can interact with them you get that sense of engagement um at, at, 
when you a food pantry handing out food you're there you're present you're you know you're you're being you're able to see the fruits of your labor right mm-hmm. in action whereas if you give money it sort of goes into this mysterious pot and it may go to one thing it may go to paying for the you know to, to fix a leaking fa- faucet or something like that you don't know um and i think the same goes with like politics too right you know the most important politics and yet the least talked about are our interpersonal politics right the relationships that we have with our coworkers and with our friends and with our family members like that's that's the politics that affect us the most and yet are probably the least reflected about and then you have you know the big politics you can you can vote for a leader but it's like that leader is going to let you down on some level or another and it's because you're so far removed from the situation mm-hmm. you yeah there's more frustration because you have less control over it and I think the the same goes with being involved in a church and like donating money versus volunteering or something. It's like you don't know, right? It's out of your it's out of your hands once you do that. Whereas if you are physically present and participating, I think uh, like a somewhat of a hybrid thing is like it's way different too. If you go to an event for a particular cause, you know the five k runs that they have all the time for cancer or whatever like you go to this event and in exchange for this event you're donating for research of this cause um it's like okay fine but even that man like the susan g komen breast cancer foundation the donations that they were accepting from people to do research on breast cancer uh prevention they were spending on lawsuits against other breast cancer research organizations that used uh, proprietary the cure. Like, no uh, no the the slogan uh like race four any oh. any organization that, that used like race four something uh-huh. they sued and so they were using good Donate. intention don donations meant for research on lawsuits and they they were one of the high the highest spending lawsuit organization nonprofit organizations out there and it's like even that I mean, you can be donating for a race and doing all this work, and in the end, your money goes to to suing somebody who's also trying to help people. Yeah, that's like how wrong is that? Well, that's uh, that's partially why too. Um, like Walgreens always says, like you can donate one, five, ten, or twenty dollars. It's like I'm just a a number to you. like I I they're doing this across. For, I'm just using them as an example. By no means am I like talking down on Walgreens or like some of these organizations, but it's like. If if this is going on <laughs> in the country and every single transaction that takes place every fucking day, um, it's like, well, if I don't give my $5 to them, it doesn't mean anything to them. You know what I'm saying? Correct. It's nothing. It means that $5, that value of $5 has more value in my pocket than to them because thousands and thousands of uh, they're just trying to hit the numbers. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's a it's a marketing strategy. Yeah, focused on macro, yes. like the en- the end result versus the individual who's contributing. Yes, kind of thing. Yeah. But then so. again, you you look like you're the asshole if you say no. You know what I'm saying? No, I think that they use psychological principles to make you think that you're the asshole. But if you realize that they're using psychological principles, that's to why make I you tell them no. That's asshole, why I'm like no. Like I do, I don't need I, validation from a stranger, from sort of organization to be like you. If you do this, then you're a good person. Like you said, like you were saying, it's how you treat people, not necessarily like, um, uh, what was it that you were saying um, when you were talking about? Oh, I lost my train of thought. 
No, that's fine. You were just saying how you, how you treat people is how it really matters rather yeah, than... Yeah, the, the, the... Rather than it, how you... It's the inter the yes. interpersonal relationship that we have that that has the most the the best impact yeah. on our mental state. Um, yeah, I, I was going to say something, but then I lost my train of thought. Well, we picked up. We were trying real hard um, the first ten or twelve minutes. High school stories. Yeah, yeah. College, I mean, really, we, nice. we gotta we gotta, we gotta find something we're take, excited take to talk whole. about. Yeah, because yeah. uh, you know. I really, ah, I had something too that I was gonna say. Was it about so frustrating? About uh, it was about hey, when that happens, being good Samaritan or donations or seminary or oh yeah, no, okay, I guess it was an offhanded remark. Basically, something like when it comes down to it, no one, no one should be able to make you feel bad. No one should be able to say or infer something that should make you feel bad about yourself, really, because when it comes down to it, I mean. I don't know. I guess I shouldn't say that because there are times that I guess you should feel bad. But in those sort of ways of like if you don't donate, you're a bad person kind of inferences. I think a lot of times people try to use guilt, a feeling of guilt to get them to do something like yeah. make you feel guilty. Um, and anyone who tries to make you feel guilty should not be listened to. <laughs> I think that's that's more accurate than yeah. you, no one should make you feel bad. It's that... You sh- you should never feel bad from someone trying to make you feel guilty because they're trying to manipulate your emotions as opposed to communicating in a normal, rational way of, like, this upset me or this bothered me. It's always, like, subtly being, like, doing things. Yeah. Agreed. Well, I think that's a good time to close things out. Man, uh, for people who have made it this far, they had to wait wade through, like, 17 minutes of bullshit. <laughs> I mean, I'm, it's not going to bother me because I know it's going to get better eventually. I know. But it's like, would you really stick through 20 minutes to get to some in- interesting, engaging conversation? It's funny that you say that because on some of the podcasts I listen to, after about 10 minutes, I'll decide, that, you know what? This, this is, is not This is it. not working for me. Yeah. So I'll fast forward. I'll listen to like another five minutes. I'll skip like 10 or 15 minutes and, and then I'll be like, all right, I'm done with this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's worth listening to after 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty funny. I don't really have anything to say. Do you have anything to say oh, for man. a sign off? I mean. Oh, for a sign off? Yeah. May the peace of a God that surpasses all understanding. That's the same as peace be, be with, with you from last time. We can't do that. Here we go. Five minutes of nothing trying to figure shit out with. What? Love each other, man. Love we, thy neighbor. Love thy neighbor. Yeah. Did we already do that one? I don't think so. I think we did. As a, as a sign off? Dude, we did. Did we? Yeah. Freaking A. I'm very certain that we did. God bless it. What are you doing? I'm looking up the names of... Did you rename our podcast, by the way? I didn't rename our podcast, no. No, 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 the, the early ones, because you were going through them. Oh, yeah, I titled them. I yeah, like I titled it. them. Oh, that's They're cool. good. Oh, you gotta that's read the, great. Read the, read the very first description of the first episode. And read it out loud if you want. Okay. Or do you want me to read it out loud? I'll, I'll read it. I'll read it out loud. Okay. Because I haven't read it yet. Okay. 
Ignition, episode one, Ignition Blast Off. Welcome to the very first episode of Stream of Thought. Victor and Rick start things off by revealing why they love podcasts and discuss a few things they enjoy. Rick's then gives his two cents on a book he's never read by an author he doesn't care for. <laughs> what? What? How ironic, since he claims to always see the big... God damn you. To always see the big picture. Yeah, I'm realizing where this is going. In his forest filled with trees analogy, speaking of books and forests, what do Victor and Rick's find attractive in women? Intellect. For real? Yes! Why? Because they're well-mannered, academically inclined... Jesus Christ. <laughs> academically inclined, chivalrous, ge- chivalrous gentlemen who ought to be sporting three-piece suits and a side pocket watch with a dose no, of mustache. and a side... seven. A side of pocket watch. A, a side of pocket watch and a dose of mustache, 24-7. Oh, a dose of mustache. Nice. If you're up for adventure and enjoy great conversation, hop on board and join them on this nonstop, fun-filled, multi-furious... Multifarious. Multi- fairies journey we call the human experience oh explosion shit's on fire multi-furious wow good for you <laughs> i don't think that i've ever seen that used in a sentence before yeah. congratulations i found it on google when i was looking for synonyms that was that was beautiful all right i guess uh what's the sign off i don't know get on the bus how about God damn it? <laughs> on the bus. On the bus? Get on. I don't know. I don't know. So, uh... Oh, I have something I... Go ahead. <laughs> no, go for no, it. No, I have something that I want to bring up with you, because I know that you would know a lot about it, but go ahead and say whatever it was that you were going to say. Okay, first, uh... Jesus fucking Christ, is this really about the volume? Because I first, can- <laughs> first, this is about the volume. It needs to go down, because look... Riggs, you just want a, it? Just a little. Just you want a, it? No, ma- the master, master volume. Master volume. Yes. You want it down hot, just a and then bit. you want it cold, but you can't have both, all right? That's perfect. Gosh. It's perfect. My goodness. We're good. Fifth, 16 episodes. 16 episodes straight of talking about Chris Hardwick and Nerdist and Rix's volume. <laughs> we're going to get there eventually. Okay. It, it wasn't my volume. It was your volume. You were up too high. Just, just start the fucking episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we moved. Uh, my sister moved out of my parents' house. We oh yeah, move you were telling. I thought she. Week. I thought she already moved. Or last. So one of the things it says was like to m- close all applications, which I did. Interesting. Maybe it just can't handle the volume. Ricks. Dude, all right. So your sister moved out. <laughs> yes, she moved out. Just. And <laughs> you're frustrated. I'm not you. frustrated. I can tell you're I'm frustrated. not frustrated. You should probably turn the volume down a little bit more. Oh my god! Your volume. Mine's fine. <laughs> Jeez. Um, fix that for me, please. I'm I'm really feeling like we should cut this. I'm really feeling like we just need to keep just chugging along. The show must go on. The show must go on. Well, we'll just have to record another one. All right. So Put your sister moved out. <laughs> yes. The look on your face right now is just one of abject defeat. Because had I not... No, it's... Because if I didn't 
screw around with the volume like you told me to do before we started. None of this would have ever happened. It's perfect now. It was too soft before. None of this would have ever happened. Listen, if you just left the volume the way that it is for the foreseeable future, I think it's perfect. I didn't I think do it. I turned it up before because I knew you told me to do it. You were going to tell me. And it was I, too soft. And you told me like five seconds. It's because you don't, you're, look, look how much close, look how much closer I am to the microphone than you are to the microphone. You really think that you're closer to the microphone? I know I am. You're absolutely not. You're further away than I am. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. This is what I'm going to do. I'm touching <laughs> my mouth and the microphone and I'm lifting my two hands up. Dude, look at that. You're a good five to six inches Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Yes. We'll need to get well, a ruler. <laughs> Fucking A. All right. Moving. All right, well, moving on. Um, moving on. So. Well, I mean, I, okay. Well, we moved her out. That that was, I wasn't really going anywhere with that. I didn't think you were. But she did move to, like, two blocks south of so, uh, the White Sox field. Oh, and okay. We, mo- we moved her in. When the Sox were having, like, two hours before the, ho- the Sox were having a home game. Oh, So that fuck. was that, that was, was fun trying to a nightmare. go through there. I don't even know what that stadium's called. It uh, used to be Comiskey. Now it's, it's been called U.S. Cellular Field. No, like, they renamed it. What? It's now, like, we're number one field.com or something like that. Oh, it's got, like, a dot. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's something really stupid. I'm going to grab my phone and look it up. But before I do that, I'm going to check my Instagram for memes and models. And then after I do it, I'm going to check my Instagram again for memes and models. Why? I'm just kidding. There, this is what we'll do. I'll pull this out. All right. So, uh, how many hours did you spend? Did you have a lot of stuff? Did you get no. roped into a bunch of stuff that you didn't really want to do or anticipate happening? Like It was pretty simple. Traffic or he- shit that was heavy or what? Well, no, because we took three vehicles. So basically, wow. yeah, I know, dude. And I was worried that we were going to have trouble finding parking when we got down there. But so your fine. mom's SUV, obviously, and your dad's car and your brother's car or what? My mom's SUV, my dad's BMW, and my sister's car. Okay. So... Yeah, it was a it was a family affair for sure, but she she moved in about half a mile from where my mom lived when she was in college. Really? Yeah. Um, what was the process like? Pretty easy, pretty pain, pain, Pre- pretty painless, pretty painless actually. Wow, I, I had expected it to. What? What's it called? Okay, you're never gonna believe this. This well, yeah, is so stupid. The White Sox field all right, is so named. We all know it used to be called Comiskey Park back in the day. Um, then it was U.S. Cellular Field. As of this season, Guaranteed Rate Field. Yeah, that's what it is. Wow. Guaranteed Rate Field. What? I think there's, I think there's something... About a GoDaddy.com stadium or something like that. Not sure. What a fuck! It's, com- it's capitalism at its finest. You've got to be fucking kidding me. That is unbelievable. Would you ever sell out the show to be guaranteed rate stream of thought? No. Guaranteed rate st- stream of thought. Absolutely not. I don't even want to think about that. Wow. Good thing I'm not a White Sox fan. Um, cool. So moving forward, something that I really want to talk about. 
so tell me what's the 411 with uh, North Korea because I read that some shit's been going down been going and down, uh, some threats have been made. And then I saw a meme that said something real funny like, remember the good old days when the only th- the only American threat to North Korea was uh, James Franco and Seth Rogen's movie. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, that led to the Sony hack, that huge Sony hack that they released a bunch of movies from a couple of years ago. It was like 2013, I want to say. Really? And it was the Dictator movie that Seth Rogen and James Franco had done. I think it was called The Dictator. Maybe. I don't know. But they released that, and there were hackers from North Korea. It was likely broke into Sony Mm -hmm. and ended up stealing a bunch of their material and releasing it online. And that was sort of the extent of their capabilities. But you have conflicting reports right now as to whether or not they've developed a miniaturized nuclear weapon that they can load onto a missile. And they've been testing their intercontinental ballistic missiles over the course of the past couple of months now. And it looks like they both, two separate things, they've developed a nuclear warhead that can fit on a missile, and they've developed a missile that can go basically go into outer space and re-enter and strike its target. And so basically the next step, it sounds like, would be putting that miniaturized nuke on, an, on a reliable intercontinental ballistic missile that would accurately be able to hit its target. Yeah. So, yeah, it's there's been a lot of developments right now. It's been so big that the UN unanimously imposed sanctions on North Korea, which doesn't really mean much. It just means that the people of North Korea are going to starve more because the leadership of North Korea is never affected by these sort of sanctions. It just mm-hmm. starves the starves the general population. And then you have our our delightful commander in chief going on. I, I I don't know press conference or something like that, and basically was using the same sort of words that the North Korean person leader Kim Jong Il or Kim Jong Un Kim Jong I don't know had been using but yeah man it's kind of scary I keep thinking I'm going to check my phone and check the news articles and learn that we're at war now I mean it seriously could happen we could finish this podcast and be at war you never know you ever watch the movie Team America I did yeah <laughs> surprisingly you wouldn't I, think that I'd be one to watch that. I can't remember when I saw it. It was several years after it came out. I saw it sometime within the last maybe three to four years, I think. But I remember watching that movie laughing my ass off, like every almost every single scene. America, fuck yeah. <laughs> it was, it like really, uh, it, oh my gosh, I need to watch it again. Stop motion. That was a pretty quality stop motion animation. It just, it, it pretty much, uh, uh, captured the vibrato, or bravado, what was I just saying? Um, just like the essence of, like, America to a certain degree. Yeah. It was just, oh my goodness. So fucking hilarious. Dude, it's something every day. It's so exhausting, this whole new cycle world that we're living in. Just something's breaking every day. And as somebody who loves reading this sort of stuff, I'm, I'm just very fascinated by the political drama and intrigue 
of this particular White House. We never had this shit with Obama. What's happening ever. right now at the White House? Who's getting hired? Who's getting fired? Well, I got rid of the mooch, but that was like a week ago. And they look, it looks like they're promoting their newest baby Goebbels, Stephen Miller, to communications director. Who's that? What? Baby Goebbels? Yeah. Goebbels was Hitler's... No, 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 no. Who is the... Stephen, Stephen Miller? Yeah, I know who Goebbels... That's what, when you said Goebbels, I was like, wait a minute. Okay. Baby but, Goebbels. Yeah, he had the glass, the real round glasses and the mustache. Duh, they all had mustaches. They all had I know mustaches. He is, yeah. And he's just been one of those behind-the-scenes communications people who vociferously defends the president. Vociferous... That's a word I'm going to have to write down and look up later. It Tell mean, us what it means right now. It means aggressive and enthusiastically going after something. More Vociferous. Or less. Vociferously, yeah. Vociferously. Vociferous, yeah. Interesting. You learn new vocab word every day, man. I know. I try to do that. That's why I like reading some of these New York Times and Washington Post articles is because every once in a while they're, they'll use some word that I've never even seen before. Yeah. And it's like, oh, it's interesting to just see what, see the context in which there's, they're using these new words because they newspaper and magazine writers tend to be pretty good when it comes to using big words in their proper context. Mm -hmm. A lot of people who write blogs and other stuff try to like thesaurus their way through it, through an article, you know, the college thing of just shift F7 and then replace the words with bigger sounding words and just doesn't fit because it's not the exact context. But Um, with these, it's like they use such precise words. It's, you have to look it up because it means something's very, very particular. Well, if for whatever reason you decided to listen all the way to this point, we hope you enjoyed this 12 minutes of just random banter and we'll catch you next time on stream of thought.